following program does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff or management of WFMD. The longer I do this show, the more convinced I am how true that is. This is the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. We're on the FM also at 99.9 HD2. If you go to just the regular 99.9, you'll hear a bunch of country music. And if you want to really aggravate a country music fan, tell them that they're listening to country and western music. Like, no, 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 not western. Country music. <laughs> roots music. Americana music. We're talking about roots a little bit here on the show today. Um, what's all this nonsense I'm talking about? I'm Troy Skinner, the, uh, the host of the Faith Debate and the pastor of Household of Faith in Christ. We have a website, householdoffaithinchrist.com. You can learn all about the church. You can actually connect to the show through that website as well. And you can connect to all of my social media and pastor blogs and sermons. And I mean, anything and everything that I have to do that has anything at all to do with the church, religion, or social media, it's a one-stop shop. There it is. Uh, you can also, I don't think it's a one-stop shop, but there's also a really good website you can check out that Imran Razvi is a part of. He founded with his wife an organization uh, about, I don't know, 20-plus years ago, I think, called Conquered by Love. And their website is conqueredbylove.org. They have a lot of resources there for, uh, for family and child-rearing and marriage and, um, and things like that. And they've been on the speaker's tour over the years, and so maybe you can book them for, a, for, a, for some speechifying. And Stephen Yerger is also on the show for uh, round three of this uh, set of shows that you did four or five shows with us a couple months back as well. And uh, he's with a, a congregation that meets in southern Pennsylvania, not too far away from Gettysburg, called the Shabbat Gathering. And we've been talking, well, we, two weeks ago we talked about the Sabbath, and then we kind of bridged from the Sabbath. We finished up our talk about the Sabbath last week. And if you're uh, treating today, Sunday, as the Sabbath, and Imran Razi wants you to know that you are in sin and you need to repent, uh, he's on record. He can't take it back now from two weeks ago. Not that he would want to, probably. I don't think he's, he's a man of conviction. He believes what he says. Um, doesn't mean he's right. You're free to disagree with Imran. It's, as he would might say, you're free to be wrong. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, and then we started talking about uh, Marcionism, uh, a heresy from a long, 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 long time ago, like right after the start of the church, like within a couple of generations of the church being founded, boom, there's this huge heresy with this, this crazy guy who's trying to get rid of the Old Testament and, and, and is anti-anything Jewish and that sort of thing. And we've been talking about how that maybe is even still evident. Maybe they're not walking around saying, hey, I'm a devotee of... Marcion, that's not what's going on, but maybe some of the ideas and leanings have infected us in ways that we're not aware. And Imran, you were sharing in between shows, I don't know if you want to share it now, about how it, in a personal way, can have, actually have an impact. Well, one of the things, let's go back to, you know, when you asked me, is it a sin? And yes, if I believe it's a sin, just like the Bible says, you know, some, some can eat the, the meat of that uh, sacrifice to idols, and, and sometimes you shouldn't, especially if it's going to be for the weaker brother. So what I mean by that, God has convicted me that the Sabbath is a holy day that we're supposed to keep. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It is in the beginning and it's in the end. And once you recognize that's what it is and you don't keep it, you're sinning. Now, if you don't recognize that that's the Sabbath, God is you're walking with God and God's going to walk with you and, and hopefully convict you of what he wants you to be at, what, at whatever time. So I'm not here to sit there and, and judge and say, hey, you're going to hell because you're sinning on this. I'm sinning on a lot, lots of things, as we've discussed many times. We are sinners. We're kind of in conflict with our um, saved status that we're still in this earth and still subject to sin. So that aside, um, when you know, I, my 
son-in-law's uh, f- family believes that really anything Jewish is uh, taking away from Christ because Christ is uh, our Savior, and if you go back to anything Jewish, you're actually taking away from that. And I disagree with that, but one of the things I get along with him very well, uh, and what I've told people is, look, if we're all the same, then iron can't sharpen iron. Iron only sharpens iron because it has friction. You have to have friction in order to be able to... Um, defend your views and search the Bible out and say, hey, this is why I believe something, and maybe you'll change. Maybe God will convict you of something. So he he firmly believes that anything that even uh, remotely, again, that's my interpretation. He'd have to defend himself in, in some time, but that uh, points to Jewish law and Jewish tradition is a antithetical to Christian uh, belief in, and, life, in, and life. So he would not even you know, just come to visit our house on Saturday because somebody might think that he is celebrating the Sabbath with us on Saturday. So his conviction is that that would be wrong and it would undermine what Christ did for us. And I understand where he's coming from. Um, I disagree with him, but that's okay. We should be able to disagree and still love each other and say, hey, let's investigate and you prove your point and I'll prove my point and let's go to the Bible. I wonder what somebody like that does with all of the quotations and the allusions to the Old Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures, if you will, in the New Testament. You can't properly understand the book of Revelation without having a deep understanding of what the Old Testament has to say. And it doesn't make a lick of sense, which is maybe a part of why there's so much controversy and confusion about the book of Revelation. So it looks like uh, Stephen is itching to say something. He's got, I think, a Scripture open or something. Well, I just want to sum over in First John first chapter, verse 7, it says, you know, walking in the light, as he walked in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I'm paraphrasing. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So, you know, the statement was made, you know, if we're not keeping the Sabbath, are we in sin? Well, how many other things that could we possibly be doing that could be sin? It's missing the mark. It's lawlessness. But at the same time, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, so that we can be forgiven of our sin. But like Jesus said to the woman that was caught in adultery, where are thine accusers? And she said, no man, Lord. He says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Um, so we, we, we have the ability and the grace of God through the blood of Christ to cleanse and to be made right. But it's just, you know, part of what the law or the Torah does for us is it's like the school teacher that leads us to Christ. It shows us where we're out of the way and what the remedies are. So this can be a very complicated discussion because we have been taught so many things over the centuries, and we're just wanting to go, as Imran says to me a lot, let's just take the whole Bible, let's look at it in context, let's look at it culturally, and let it speak to us, and try to do the best you can with God's help. And walking with a group of men and women and families that have that same heart and to be able to just hold one another accountable and in a, in a very godly, uh, kind way uh, that's welcomed, mutually uh, brought on to where you can, uh, work, you know, work out community. Yeah, the thing is, if I say something that irritates you, that uh, makes you angry or, or mad, 
maybe that's God's word convicting you, and you should do your research. Prove your point. Okay, if I say something that you think is totally offbeat, totally wrong, then go to the Bible and prove your point to yourself. You don't have to prove my point. You don't have to fight with me, but, you know, fight with the idea. But use the Bible to fight the idea. Don't use man to, well, so-and-so said this, and so, no, no, go back to the Bible. Find it in the Bible. Use the Bible to prove your point, and then you will feel much better about it, and you may, you may not come to the same conclusion that I did. That's okay. But my, the purpose of, of us doing this is really to help sharpen you to go back to Scripture. Use the Scripture to solidify your point and be sure what you're standing on. Because I know I'm doing things wrong today that I, I will hopefully God will teach me and I'll learn and I'll change and I'll move in the, in the right direction. And I'm hoping to learn something new every day. I'm hoping to go, get closer to God every day. Something that might be uh, good. It looks like Steve wants to say something. So you can... You can say what you want to say, and then maybe if you also want to re, re, uh, add a remark about this or not, because I think I want to clarify in between shows from last week's show to this week's show that we were trying to clarify things among ourselves to make sure, what, what are you saying? Are we, are we concerned about anti-Semitism? Or, we're not saying, uh, at least I don't think, I just want to clarify, though. You know, Imran, you tell a story about somebody who says, well, if anything smacks of Judaism, well, that's somehow diminishing Christ, and I want nothing to do with it. That's not the same as saying they're anti-Semitic, right? It's right. it has to do with the theology and the understanding of how things work together in God's uh, economy uh, over time, and it's not the same as hating a Jewish person. It's just saying that the the the, the Jewish practices or the Jewish teachings or requirements or whatever are now no longer required for the Christian. He's making a sharp distinction. So I want to, in case anybody was confused after last week's show, like he's talking somehow about anti. The thought never entered my mind last week, actually, and it wouldn't have entered my mind this week either, except now it's in my head from last show. And when Imran said what he says, I'll make sure people understand it. You're not saying that somebody in your extended family is anti-Semitic. That's not the point you're making at all. No, that's not the point I'm making. But because of the contamination of Nazism in, in, in the modern church and, and things, it can lead to anti-Semitism. And that's what many people that are anti-Semitic have used to really proclaim anti-Semitism. So I'm not, I'm not speaking to those that are, are anti-Semitic. That's wrong. I, I think if you judge anybody by you know anything that that was out of their control, whether skin or the, the color of their skin or the color of their eyes or the shape of their nose or the or their Jewish heritage, I think that's wrong. People are people, individually judged, and and, and so forth. But I think that teaching of uh, has contaminated the, the church, and people have used that to become anti-Semitic and use those reasons to do so. Yes. Uh... That is the problem, is that Marcionism, I believe, leads to anti-Semitism, but it leads kind of like through the back door. And nobody would ever think of wanting to participate in sending any of the Jews to the Holocaust, to the camps, to the, to the ovens. Nobody knowingly would do that on the front end. But on the back end, Marcionism actually embeds that spirit and actually... Uh, Hitler used the writings of early church fathers taken out of context and used it to persuade the German church to, hey, you got to submit. This is why we're doing it. Here's the scriptures to say why. And they also used Romans 13, uh, that you got to follow your government. Um, out of context. I was going to say, misused Romans right, 13. Right, out of context. <laughs> um, right. Thank you for the clarification. So I, I wanted to dive back to, you know, uh, here in Matthew 5, uh, here's a very interesting set of scripture that, you know, Jesus says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. 
fully preach, fully have an example, my paraphrase. And, you know, if Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, then he's the one who interprets. He did by his life and his walk. For, now I'm continuing with the scripture. For truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. When whoever and then annuls one of these least commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's a lot there, and there's a lot to unpack, but basically, you know, here is Jesus himself saying right, but that— But, Steve, what would you say to those that would say, well, everything was accomplished in, in Christ's death and resurrection, so now it's been accomplished? Okay, I would go—let's say, if everything has been accomplished, have we seen the millennium yet? Have we seen well, the Troy return of Christ? says we're in the millennium. Well, so he's seen the millennium. okay, go to Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30 says that God will circumcise their hearts, bring them from the four corners of the earth, and bring them back into their land. That is before they go into the land, before Joshua takes over. Moses is giving the rendition at the last, on, telling them the history. So here is a foreshadow, a prophetic shadow picture of what's going to happen in the latter days here in the Torah. So that hasn't happened yet from the four corners of the earth all the way back to their land and circumcising their heart. Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So that hasn't happened yet. So there's things that have not been fulfilled. Well, many people think that it happened in 70 AD when uh, Israel was destroyed, Jerusalem was destroyed, that all those things in tribulation happened then. Well, that was in a very localized area. When you see the context of Matthew 24, you have, you know, the sun not shining, every eye will see him. You're going to see all kinds of cataclysmic earth-shaking events that are targeted more than just around Jerusalem. And I would also argue that uh, Revelation was written kind of after 70 AD, about five or seven years after that. So <laughs> they couldn't have been fulfilled before, the re before Revelation was done. Although there's debate on that, though. Yeah. It's a, there's a minority view, but the, it's, it's a compelling argument that uh, the book of Revelation was written in the late 60s. Right. Okay. R.C. Sproul, I think, held to that view, actually. That's another show. So, yeah, so, and that's then, how to get out of answering anything. And then the AD 70 question also, you know, uh, that Imran raised that up and it does um, help to answer. If you hold to AD 70, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple as a fulfillment, like uh, Imran was probably maybe playfully asking, but uh, seriously, it can be asked. Uh, that helps to answer the question when Jesus says a generation will not pass before, you know, he would come in judgment. And so, before you see me again. So what, what, what does that mean? And some say, well, he came in AD 70, was, which was, you know, almost exactly the end of a, a generation kind of a thing. So uh, I mean, we're, we're getting a little bit off. I, I think yeah. the point that you might have been trying to make with the, 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 the quote from Matthew 5 and the, and the law and the need for still having a, a high regard for the law is maybe, practically speaking, talking about what's going on in the world today with easy believism, Right there's this uh, there's this this false dichotomy between law and grace, 
And so I'm in, I'm in Jesus. I can do what I want. I mean, Paul speaks directly against that, <laughs> that you can't just do whatever you want. Uh, so should I go law, on to sin all, all the more? No, God forbid, right? If so, the law is done away with, then does that mean I can murder? I can practice uh, all kinds of sexual uh, deviant sins? Does that mean I can steal? Does that mean that... Uh, well, those who disagree with your view, uh, many of them might say yes. And that's, I think, your point is like that leads to all sorts of problems. But they're going to say, yes, I have freedom in Christ. But then Paul said, do we, will grace abound by sinning? He says, God forbid. I'm not arguing, I'm not agreeing with them. Correct. But you hear these arguments. Yeah, and I think those people are going to be very, very disappointed when God says, get away from me. I did not know you. Because they did all sorts of things in God's name, but they did not understand what God's heart And this was. might be a good point to interject really what a, a, a gospel-focused understanding of the law is. So, there is a law, and we've all broken it. And so we all stand guilty, and that's why there's the necessity of Christ to pay the penalty for the, the sins that we've committed. They are on his back. So we're set free from the shackles of the law— in order that we can then obey the law, not as slaves to the law, but as slaves to Christ, who out of humble obedience wanted to elevate his name, magnify his glory, treat him as Lord, do what he says, do what he commands. We're not eternally condemned by, uh, um, by, by the, the strictures of the law as a Christian anymore because all those condemnations fall on Christ. But out of gratitude for that fact, we want to obey the law, not as a way of working our way to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. Uh, Christ worked our way to heaven, if you will, right? We are saved by works, Christ's works, <laughs> you know? Um, and so that's, I think, what's, what sometimes gets lost. The Christian says, oh, well, Christ fulfilled the law. I'm no longer a slave to the law. That's true, but that's only half of the equation. The other part has to be there too, which is now out of humble obedience, we want to go and sin no more. As Razvi said, we want to do what the book says. Paul said, the, the law of sin and death. That's what Jesus did away with. But we still have the law of righteousness. We have the law of love. And if you test, like Rasby said, go to the scriptures and test and see if what we're saying is so. And if not, then call us out or, you know, but the main thing is, is not to just go by what other people say, other preachers say, other theologians say. say, or even what we say. Go to the Word of God and find out for yourself. Because in the day of judgment, when we all stand before that great white throne, there's not going to be anyone between us, and we will have, you know, we're either in Christ or we're going to be without Christ. And that's a place you do not want to be at. And that's where, on this side of the grave, if you're searching, if you're hungry, if you're really sitting here listening to this broadcast, think about with how God's been dealing and his love and his care. And, uh, you know, today is the day of salvation. Part of the discussion that I hear on occasion from people that ties into what we're talking about here today, uh, I don't hear it as much, and this is actually the point I want to make, is this idea of, well, you know, the Old Testament, that's not really relevant anymore because Christ came and says, I'm a New Testament Christian. You know, it's all about the New Testament. I don't really hear that discussion about, oh, 
do away with the Old Testament, I embrace the New Testament. I think the challenge we're facing now is we have people that would profess to be followers of Christ. They claim to be Christians, and they don't abide by either Testament. So you know, we only got a couple of minutes, but if you wanted to give uh, you know, a, full, uh, uh, a full-throated pitch, elevator speech for the value of the Scriptures, the entirety of the Scriptures, you would say what? I would say that this is a false gospel of that being saved is free. It's not free. It costs Christ his life and pain and suffering and death. And because of that, if you accept it, then you're obligated to love him. And if you don't, then there's no fruit in you. Then you are not saved. And you know what? You may need to really go back in the Bible and find out, are you really saved? Because if you are not showing any fruit, if you are not, and the fruit is really, if somebody looks at you and says, oh, this person's different, he's a Christian. If they can't say that, if they can't prove that you're a Christian, there's something wrong. Find out what it is. Go back to the Bible. Yeah. Stephen, in the, last, in the last days, Jesus said, lawlessness will abound. And I think we can all agree that that is happening across all spectrums. And uh, he said, this is going to happen before I come back. So you might want to make that assessment and maybe see time might be shorter than you think. Yeah, lawlessness is definitely abounding these days. Uh, I don't think anybody who's paying any attention at all could, could disagree with that. Uh, it used to be not that long ago, when I started doing this show, a lot of the times the focus would be on, you know, pastors who, um, you know, they would focus all their preaching, all their Sunday school teaching, all of their Bible study groups and stuff were focused on books of the, the New Testament, and they, and they weren't paying, giving enough credence to the Old Testament. Part of it is because of things we've talked about, not having a high regard for it. Part of it was, I think, an ignorance. Uh, people didn't, the pastors even, didn't know enough about the Old Testament to teach it well, so that's part of it. But now what we're having going on is we have uh, some of the biggest churches in the country don't preach either testament. What are they preaching? You know, well... The prosperity gospel. Yeah, self-help, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstrap-ism. You can you do know, this. You don't need God. God's there, but you can do it because God allows you to do it. But no, it's not you. It's God doing it. And then people become a law unto themselves. And if you're a law merely unto yourself, well, then that basically is lawlessness because we're in no position to create these laws. And so that's part of the, the challenge and the, the trouble that we have. So I think what we're going to do, one of the notes I had, I'm not sure how it's connected, but it must be connected because in the, the thread of uh, texts that Stephen and I sent back and forth a while ago, in the mix of all this talk about Marcionism and the Sabbath and the, the Hebrew roots of the church and the law and grace antagonism, the Old Testament, New Testament, part of what came up was something to do with replacement theology. I'm not exactly sure what you might want to say, but I have lots of thoughts about replacement theology. So I think next week we'll talk about that, at least generally speaking. Also, we missed an opportunity this week to, to make a huge point about how our roots, and as Judeo-Christian roots and all that sort of stuff, connect to this weekend. Thanksgiving weekend is when this show is airing. Um, and as a kid, not having any theological reason for it, but as a kid, my favorite holiday of the year was Thanksgiving. And it was, I think, because it was about most of the right things. It was about family coming together and having a big meal and fellowship and enjoying one another. And it wasn't about the, the marketing or the, the materialism or, or some sort of fake Christmas message about, you know, Santa Claus and, uh, and, and reindeer and <laughs> those sorts of things. It was more wholesome. It was more focused on Thanksgiving. And my family growing up wasn't 
overtly religious, but there was a sense in which, no, we're basically, we're pausing to give thanks to God for all the blessings we've had in the, in the past year. And we're recognizing that as a family right now. And so just our heart to you this week is you're, you're, you're probably finally deflating from all that turkey on Thursday, um, you know, that you're really feeling the blessings this weekend and every day. And if you're not and you need prayer, need some guidance, some counsel, you know, the pastors in this room and a couple of pastors that are usually part of this show that aren't in the room today, we'd be glad to pray with you, for you, uh, to help you in any way. If you want to reach out, you are encouraged and welcome to do so. Um, easiest way to do that would to just go to my website, Household of Faith in Christ. I know it's a mouthful. Household of Faith in Christ.com. And you'll find all my contact information. You can text me, you can email me, you can private message me on social media, whatever you want to do. And if you don't want to talk to me, you want to talk to Imran or Stephen instead, I can root you to them. I can get them in touch with you. So uh, that, that's, uh, that's our invitation to you. Imran Razvi. Uh, his website that he has is conqueredbylove.org. Stephen Yergers with the Shabbat Gathering. I'm Troy Skinner. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from now, God bless.